Welcome to the Hello, Hello World podcast with me, Candace Mollard. Hello, Hello World is available wherever you stream podcasts. Please be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Philippa von Ziegenweit. Philippa is a community advocate. She advocates for such things as the environment and the mega hospital. She's a founding member of CAMPP, which is Citizens for an Accountable Mega Hospital Planning Process. Philippa has been a community idol of mine for many, many years. And this was such an honor for me to be able to speak with her about things that are so true to my heart as well as hers. I hope you learned something. Grab yourself some water and thanks for listening. Hi, Philippa. Hi, Candice. How is it going today? Oh, well, it's okay. It's kind of a nice day. I was expecting it to be all gloomy, but it's turning out to be okay. Yeah, it. Uh, that's what, uh, when we asked Alexa this morning, she said that it wasn't going to be the, the nicest day, so I'm pleasantly surprised myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm thinking of the bike ride I'm going to take across yes, the city. Of and, course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to come and speak to me today. Yeah, you're really welcome. I'm, I was looking forward to this. Thanks. So I'm curious to, to know what we're going to talk about. Because <laughs> I think it's going to go in, in different directions. Yeah, it probably will. Um, well, the truth be told, and you've, you've known this for some time now, but you've always been somebody in our community that I've looked up to since I was a small girl. Um, I remember you being active in um, parent council at my school when I was younger, and now I have the pleasure of being on a parent council at Dr. David Suzuki Public School with you. So that's it's been an honor to have watched you um, advocate for so many things in our community. It's been an inspiration to me all these years. Oh, that's so nice of you to say that. And it's it's been a long time, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, it has been a very long time. Yes. Um, I want to talk to you, like you said, about a, a few things today. But first, I kind of want to um, touch base with you about like where you where you come from. I know you immigrated to Canada over 20 years ago. I was reading um, an article. Um, can you just tell us about where you came from? Oh, my God, that's such a complicated story. <laughs> so I was born in Holland. And um, when I was five, we emigrated to South Africa. And I don't know exactly why, but I do know one of the reasons is my dad was nervous about not being able to speak English very well. And he thought if we moved to South Africa, he'd be able to understand the language a bit better. And what no, none of us really expected was after two years in South Africa, we ended up moving to an English-speaking neighborhood. So he ended up speaking English as well as everyone else. So that was the South African bit. I grew up there, went to university there. And then um, after university, I moved to Johannesburg and I I became a chartered accountant there. So mm. I, was, I was worked there for three years. And then I was transferred to Europe. 
um, initially on an um, on a temporary assignment, but then I decided to stay. So I was happily living in Europe, and then I went on a business trip to the United States and met. I went to Washington D.C. because I've always been super interested in the Holocaust, and I've always done a lot of reading. And I went to the Holocaust Museum, and in the lineup there, I met a Canadian. And ended up marrying him. <laughs> and then that's how I ended up in Windsor. So that's sort of the very, very short version of the story. Oh, that's so lovely. So your fellow Canadian um, husband, is he, was he from Windsor? No. Funnily enough, he also has African roots. He was born oh. in Ghana um, because he had expat parents. And they also have a very complicated... Uh, <laughs> background but um they eventually moved to ottawa so he grew up in ottawa and then when he finished so he's a doctor and when he qualified there were only two jobs going in ontario one of them was in windsor and one was in sudbury so he chose the warmer city of the two (laughs) that's really interesting and where did you where were you born in in holland so the capital that's, city. That's where my family's from as well. No way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I believe, um, I believe, mom, don't quote me if you're listening. I believe it's my my Oma's side, not my Opa's side. That's but, from uh, Den Haag. From the Den Haag. Ha- yeah. 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 Den Haag. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, if you could please pronounce your last name for me. Von Siegenweit. Siegenweit? Yes, it's not that not that difficult. Ziegenweit. Okay, because yeah. I thought about that. I don't want to butcher your last name. I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah, but I'm used to it. And somebody once said to me, oh boy, I bet you'll be happy when you get married so you can change it. And I thought, no. well, that's a little insulting. So even if I may have secretly thought that, although I don't think I did, I think that that just made me realize I will never change my name. Yeah, and you'll always think of that person that said that. It's kind of a nasty <laughs> comment. Yeah. But you know what? I also have to think about all the times that I've said something by mistake. Mm. You know, it's easy to say the wrong thing. So I, I, don't, I don't mind that she did it. Right. That's, that's a good uh, thought. It's true. Think about all the times that we may have said something that our foot belonged in our mouth instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens so easily. And I've done it plenty of times myself. The same. Absolutely. But I think when you're passionate and you have like a lot of things to say, it's bound to happen that you're going to say something that you may regret later. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So utmost I want to speak to you about is, is your environmental views, because I believe we share a lot of the same um, thoughts about the environment. I want to know like your local how you locally are in in invested in the environment and then a lot about what you want to um what you want people to know about the environment in general so um can you tell us a little bit about how in the community you're involved environmentally um well i would say it started with um with me just reading about CSAs, and that's Community Supported Agriculture. And this goes back about 15 years. When I first found out what it was, I I looked to see if there's anything 
um, along the lines of CSAs going on in Windsor, Essex. And there was nothing at the time. And then a year or two later, I found that I discovered that somebody was starting a CSA. So I joined up and actually the CSA that we started is not a real CSA, but it was exactly what I was looking for. So we we were uh, we found a piece of land in the county and we started farming it and um, communally. And like one of the things we did was we grew about a thousand head of garlic. And so we all pooled our money and then we all farmed it together and then we shared what we grew. So that is sort of where my, my that was my first in, sort of environmental or organized environmental project in Windsor. Um, and then a little bit after a couple of years of that, we decided to add chickens to the to the mix. The reason being that we had uh, gone to council. That was actually the first time I ever went to council to say anything. Um, and we asked to the, we we asked the city to look at the possibility of backyard chickens, and council said no. It's a clucking, ridiculous idea, and they weren't <laughs> interested. And I realized that we could we could keep working at this and I'm, I'm, I'm still very interested in, in doing that because we still don't have legal backyard chickens but you can also grow old before it's allowed <laughs> and so we started to we, we started this chicken collective on the piece of property where we were farming and that had an unforeseen consequence because everybody became far more interested in the chickens than in weeding essentially and so we decided to drop the farming and that's also partly because I think farming in the city became more of a thing so I think we we all collectively are doing way more in our gardens mm -hmm. so I think that's that's been a really good positive environmental uh, development in the last decade or so um, people are just so interested in in you know native plants and pollinators and you know all that kind of thing and just sharing sharing knowledge and anyway so so we still have chickens um, mm. but not so much communal gardening so I'm, that's one of my projects that uh, that I'm involved in so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm managing a chicken collective <laughs> that's amazing yeah and your mate you have um I don't know if you still are doing this but the um silverware program. oh yes yeah I, I was getting frustrated going to events where everybody was using uh plastic cutlery and at the same time, I had quite a bit of extra cutlery lying around the house. So I collected that together and it had something to do with the school events we were organizing as well, because we also needed cutlery for those and we would use plastic and then we'd throw it away. And I, I, I really, it really bothered me that there was so much waste. So I put what I had in a basket and I don't even remember what the first event was that we used it for. But then people, other people had extra cutlery and I started collecting it. And then I put out a Facebook group, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So so basically the cutlery collective is, um, it's, a, well, it's now a couple of collections. But if anybody wants to hold an event and they need cutlery, they can just borrow it. Yeah. And that really took off. I think everybody's got way too much cutlery lying around that they don't know what to do with and I think in the back of our minds we're we're a little bit concerned about throwing things out so if you know that it's going to a good cause then you don't mind and besides if you 
if you ever have a big event and you need lots of cutlery, you know where to find it again. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was ge- a genius idea. I really yeah, did. It's so simple, isn't it? And then there was another event, um, another, another thing that um, came about around about the same time. I had this idea that we should start a seed lending library. And I really wanted it to be at the Win- Windsor Public Library. Because I know that there were lots of organizations who were prepared to, uh, you know, to host that. But I thought it would be a cool idea at the library. And I approached them and they said, well, nice idea. But what if people share marijuana seeds? We can't have that because this was before it was legal. So that didn't go anywhere for a while. And then there was another librarian who said, "Um, yeah, you have to you have to fill out a form and write a strategy and a business plan. And then and then they looked at it and they said, nah, not such a good idea you know another mm. time and then there was a time when I, we went to city council for actually on the topic of the mega hospital back in 2015 and we were waiting to, to for the meeting to start but there was an in-camera meeting that went that had start was going on and they kept us waiting for several hours it was so bizarre and just by chance I happened to be sitting next to the CEO of the Windsor Public Library so I introduced myself and we got chatting and I said, by the way, I've got this idea that I've been wanting to do. And I told her about it and she said, brilliant idea. Let's do it. <laughs> what? And, yeah. And so about, this was just before Christmas. And so we met over the holidays and talked it through and she thought it was a fantastic idea. And so this was at the beginning of 2016. And we set it up pretty quickly after that. And Windsor Public Library now has a fully functioning seed lending library because Talk of that. Talk about at the right place at the right, right time, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. I didn't even know about that. Or did I know about that? It's been going on since you said 2007. Beginning of 2016. Wow. That's fantastic. And are you still involved in that anyhow? Like. Hands on with that? Not formally because, um, well, that's partly because of the pandemics. So there's not a whole lot going on with the public, but they do, um, they do accept donations. So at the end of the year, when I'm collecting seeds, I Mm. usually package a couple for them or not a couple, but quite a few little baggies. And then I send them down to the library. So nice. That's really yeah. good. I feel as though there's so many wonderful things out there um, available for our community. And sometimes they, they're just not, I don't know if it's marketed correctly or even even said. People, a lot of people don't know about these resources and these um, availabilities unless they're specifically looking for it. That is so true. But you know what I think is even more strange is how did we know about any of this before Facebook I just cannot remember what the world was like yeah you know we do have a lot of things through social media and and yet there's still it's it's difficult to know everything that's going on even so yeah Yeah. that's a that's a good thought you wonder what did we do did we really um go through local magazines or pamphlets Uh, or (laughs) maybe classifieds in the newspaper I Mm -hmm. I really don't know I don't remember maybe we just didn't do as many things on the whole yeah maybe I know I know Windsor's pretty good at the word of mouth technique so 
you know, telling a friend, telling a friend, telling a friend, word does spread pretty quick in the city, but I, I have a hard time believing that was the main resource. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet, when it comes to environmental things, there is quite a big network of people doing mm -hmm. various activities. And I would say that, that within the group of people who know each other, there's, there's a fair exchange of information. Agreed. That is uh, definitely agreed. I saw today that you had reposted um, lovely people, Dane and, um, and Allie. yes. And Ali, who I can't wait to have on, um, and talk to because I proudly was, I believe one of the first users of the greener bin compost. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm oh so yeah. Excited. Yeah. We don't do it anymore because we do it ourselves, but, um, he definitely had, had an amazing business there and now the two of them are such a great team and they're doing a lot of gardening a lot of great things for our environmental aspect yeah I'm I'm I really support what they're doing and um in full disclosure it's it's kind of a it's a full circle uh story because two years ago we bought a piece of land in the county we'd been looking since the late 90s and Finally, we found the perfect piece of land. So we bought 12 acres and they are actually doing their farming on our property. Oh, come on. Yeah. How sweet. It's the best thing ever. Oh, they're so, such a beautiful couple. Yes. So yes. anybody who doesn't know um, Ali from Grown Lady Garments and... Dane from I forget the rebranding greener it's greener farms greener farms check them mm -hmm. out uh you, you won't be disappointed at all um so in the email you wrote me you, you say that consumption is drowning us it's yes. something I, I I agree with you um on wholeheartedly um I think fast fashion is terrible I think um I think consumption is drowning us but what do you mean by that? And what do you think as a community, not like as the world, just a smaller case, do, could we do to help that? Hmm. Well, I think that, well, actually, the way my husband puts it is he thinks it's an addiction that's worse than the, our addiction to carbs and sugars wow. and opioids and, and that we just, he's, he's much more nihilistic than I am about these things and he seems to think that we can never we can never address it and mm -hmm. you know it's easy to get into that way of thinking and I think that <clears throat> I think we have to think of solutions and you know even well I don't even want to say that we can't stop the consumption but because in our own lives we can do mm -hmm. something about it I think we need to do little things and we need to do big things you know, like I think you need to find a balance because, the, you know, you can get cynical and say, well, unless we address the big things, like, for example, the fact that big users are the ones who are fueling the consumption the most. And, you know, what power do little people have against that? I mean, if you if you get a, if you start looking at that, then you'll never get we'll never be able to solve any of it. Exactly. And you can also start, you can also become cynical about all the little things that we do and you think it doesn't, it's not enough. So I think, I think you just have to, 
I think that some of the pr- things that we just talked about, like the cutlery collection, you know, things that we've done at, at schools as volunteers, the seed lending library, growing our own food, those are all individual little things that we can do. And I think each time you work on something like that, you, you learn a little bit and you become a little bit wiser and maybe somebody else catches the infectiousness. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that any individual action is going to change the world but it each little action does make a difference i don't know if i'm sounding no but no you you do it makes for yeah it's exactly what the way i think you can you can have an outlook and say well unless the big corporations change nothing's going to happen so i'm not even going to change my ways but the difference is you have to want to make little changes in your everyday consumption Yes. And, and, and another thing you said that really is amazing is that if people see you doing those things, then they will at least consider doing what you're doing as well. Like you lead by example. And I think I have always been somebody who um, probably my friends and family look to um, for environmental opinions because I've always had a love and a compassion for, you know, even just simple everyday use things being used by others. I don't yeah. use them, you know? So um, right. if we lead by example, um, I think that other people will want to change and to be better. Right. And I think that being genuine and, and not hypocritical, that's, you know, that's so important. You've got to stay true to yourself and, and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think recognizing that you can't fix everything, you're probably not going to be perfect. You might make honest mistakes along the way, and maybe that doesn't matter as long as you try and you try earnestly. Yeah, so I think about this mm-hmm. a lot. And you know, one of the, the things I'm doing, I've been doing this for a couple of years, is making bags out of t shirts. Yes, I so, love those. So people donate old t-shirts to me and I've been very happy to accept bags and bags of t-shirts actually to the point to admit (laughs) admittedly it's dreadfully boring when you've made thousands of these things (laughs) but I think it's important too and you know it really frustrates me when I see how many plastic bags are still being used and then like you mentioned fast fashion so that fast fashion ends up in the thrift stores or in the landfills and so making bags out of the old T-shirts is actually a really good idea to give them a little bit of a longer life. But as I was cutting T-shirts up, what I noticed is some of them are, you know, really, really old and have been worn thousands of times. And then I also find a fair number of T-shirts that are brand new. And some occasionally they've never been used before. You know, when cotton is still, you, it's got a particular smell to it and a crunchiness. Yes. Yes. And I think we get so many T-shirts from events and you don't think about it and you, you may never wear them because you might not want to wear something with a slogan on it. <laughs> and, and then it ends up... In the landfill. Know, yeah, it's so wasteful. Yeah, have you seen those? Um, I've seen a few documentaries. Um, I don't want to say the country that it's in because I don't know for sure, but they you know, the children are picking through 
landfills of clothing and shoes and they're up high high like waterfalls tall because countries like Canada and the US are shipping all old yeah clothing and things we don't want over there and it's treasure to them and yeah. just just that alone um as far as waste yeah that and then it's like, true yeah like that's that's textiles now we could go on to the rivers that are swarmed in plastic you know in yeah. those countries as well and it, a part of it most of it is because we're shipping our garbage over there to them right we're not thinking about our consumption so just to get back to the addiction to consumption that's that is the what happens when we buy too much and the the clothing the textiles that go to it's actually in africa where i've heard about it being so destructive um what a lot of north americans don't realize is that the whole textile industries have been destroyed because of this flood of textiles that have arrived in crates and they can't they can't keep up with it so it's been it's been horrible for some uh, some african countries they've um you know that because they they had whole industries they were it it's it's been a loss of employment right to people mm-hmm. and I which is terrible it is it is and we could avoid that by not throwing out so much and and by, by not, not consuming so exactly. much exactly Exactly. And you're right. It is an addiction because, you know, you see all these um, references of, oh, I have to buy it. It makes me happy. Or I saw it and I had to have it just to say that I had it. Yeah. That's a, that's addiction. It yep. is. Yeah. And you recently started a, um, I don't know if, I think it's on the environmental page on Facebook or the I don't, I don't know what page it is, but um, for local restaurants that use cardboard, not styrofoam. Yes, that was on the zero waste. Zero waste. Group. That's it. That took off. I was a bit surprised about that. So it, it wasn't anything that I initi- initiated. Somebody was asking about restaurants that used cardboard for their takeout packaging. And people started putting comments in asking you know saying yeah listing the restaurants that they knew about and then there was a little side discussion about whether you know some restaurants used tin foil some restaurants used plastic you know and some of those plastic takeout containers are kind of nice because you can reuse them because i i save those yeah um and and so then but it's difficult to keep track of a long list so it's the easiest thing in the world to start a google map and map, so I did that's that. what you did the map yes yeah yeah and and then I I should take a look and see where that's at we had about 70 restaurants listed the last time I looked looked which is good and <laughs> very about, good and it was about 2,000 views as well which I think is also good yeah and I hope people will look at that and make a conscious choice before consuming I really it's do actually- isn't it? But it's also very encouraging, isn't it? It means that people are concerned about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take a look and see where that's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not I was really up impressed on my to see that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little conflicted about it because I'm, we're not big takeout eaters ourselves here in our, at our house. Mm-hmm. So it's not... I think if you are eating takeout, then it's a good thing. But 
by and large, I prefer to cook at home. I think you get healthier food. And um, yeah, and you yeah. know where your food's coming from. Yeah. And, and you know what? To be honest, I find it quicker to put a meal on the table than to go out and order something. Plus, yeah. in our family, we always have a big argument, first of all, about where we're going to go to get our takeout. <laughs> Everybody wants it. something different. <laughs> it <laughs> takes us 45 minutes to decide. <laughs> and then you could have something on the table already, probably that you've picked from your garden. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right? Frying up your hosta greens. I was just going to say <laughs> that we have just eaten hostas as our greens three nights in a row because they're so good. Nothing wrong with hostas that are no. cooked out. They're pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the Mega Hospital and your involvement in this CAMPP. But after, yes. before I do that, i just um wondering if you would do a little segment of quick random questions I have for you. Sure. Okay. I just like to, um, you know, divide up the interview by talking about something maybe we don't know about you. Learn something. Uh, What is on something on your bucket list? Um. Cool. That's a good question. And I'm just... I don't think I have one right now. You know what? I think the pandemic has changed my expectations. I think I've, uh, right now, I'm thinking consciously about the things that I don't want to do and Mm. how much, and how much the ordinary things that we do every day, I kind of like them. Maybe it's a time of life thing, but. um, It's an honest answer. That's okay. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, do you remember your dreams? Not a lot of them. Some, sometimes, but no, not, I sleep very deeply and I don't, I don't, I seem to remember them when I'm within a dream, but then they disappear. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, what challenges you? Oh, so many things. Um, (laughs) Well, you could say I'm not very athletic. So I would say that any kind of athletic and enterprise challenges me. Um, uh, In terms of stuff that I can't do, I'm completely choreographically challenged. So I've been doing yoga since I was 15 and I still cannot remember the routine. So. Oh gosh! Well, I'm glad that you're doing yoga because that's a really good thing to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, that we'll be done with that. Um, I really want to hear what you have to say about the um the mega hospital now that the the decision is final. Is it not? No, it's not final. Oh. We're we're actually waiting for a, a decision from the courts, and we had a hearing in December. From, and uh, the judge said at the end of the hearing that we that we'd be hearing from him in the new year. And oh. I think well, we're almost in May, and we haven't heard from him yet. So we really don't know what's going on. But there is still a, an appeal ongoing. Oh. And so for anyone who doesn't know, the CAMPP is the Citizens for an Accountable Mega Hospital Planning Process. And I and I'm gonna say that you were a founding member of this? Yes, I'm one of the founding members. There were a number of us who were very concerned back in, it was 
partly uh, around about 2013 yeah. that we suddenly saw in the media that we were going to be getting a, a Greenfield mega hospital and several of us came together. We didn't know each other beforehand. Uh, a group came together and, and we were very concerned about that. Yeah, and it, it's, it is very concerning because mainly the area that the hospital is, is, is being proposed to go in is, just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and, and this is not about county versus city. I, I have to say, I really believe everybody, wherever they live, has, deserves accessible health care. So this is about coming up with the best solution for a system that works for everybody, and it can be done. But there's so many issues involved in that. And so I had to work out an, uh, an acronym, and I called it ACUTE. And mm-hmm. so there, there are basically five, I'd say five overarching issues to this argument, which makes it really complicated. Yeah. But, but yeah, ac- access to healthcare is so important. And so the, this, this plan does not, it, it removes, I, I would say one of the themes of, of, of the problems with the plan is it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that is that, yes, it makes healthcare a little bit more accessible to people who live in the county, but it's not. It takes away a lot of healthcare from people who live in in the central neighborhoods of the city, and that's where the the region's most disadvantaged people live. It's it's the mm-hmm. center of the city. It's it's where we have the highest population density. That's a problem. Um, the C in acute is for cost. Like this is this is going to cost us. Mm-hmm. Oh. A significant amount of money in municipal infrastructure, unnecessarily, I would say. It's bad urban planning. That's the U. Yes. Uh, there's some major, major transparency issues. And the last one, and I, would, I really don't think that any of these five uh, pillars are, you know, one of them is more important than the other. But the fifth one is the environment. You know, building... Um, a hospital and then a, a, a subdivision around it is on greenfield land is it's very disturbing to me so we're using farmland you know we we have an environmental issue in in essex county we've removed so much of our natural spaces mm. so many trees have disappeared so many wetlands and our population is not growing very fast you know there are ways for us to to solve this problem of our health care without using farmland mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. be done mm-hmm. and we because of my um my background and my um, passion for advocating for our environment my my children are very aware too and we drive down that road and that concession to go to my parents house yes and they see the big sign there and and I openly speak with them about it and they know my views and stuff on it and my daughter so naively said to me but look at all that forest back there, mom, and look at all that green grass. And they're going to tear that down to put a building and kill animals habitat. That's what she said. And that just made me sad, but happy at the same time that she's five and she gets it. I know. A little bit. (laughs) And my daughter was about 12 when we drove, we were driving along and I explained it to her and she just had the similar reaction kids get this because they're so much more honest and I think as adults we make excuses 
Mm-hmm. And there's a a lot of people seem to think, well, this is the this is the only way we can we can do it, and it's not true. It's not true for two billion dollars. It's actually going to be much more than two billion. Absolutely, you know, we, we deserve to do it right. Mm-hmm. And we would be tearing down two hospitals to do this, correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 Two hospitals that are in in high populated ne- necessary areas. Yeah. We can agree that both hospitals are aging, so clearly something's going to have to happen. Um, You know, I'm I'm not averse to keeping them open, you know, but renovating them. Although that's not something that we're we're, um, you know, that's not one of the that's not a plan that's on the table right now. Um, And I'm not averse to having a new hospital and and replacing the two existing ones. That could be part of the solution. But I think that the plan as it stands is very problematic. We call it w- the worst planning mistake that Windsor has ever made. The worst wow. plan- planning error ever. Yeah. And this, you, how long has this been in talks for, did you say? Well, I first heard about it in 2013. And then i've i've done so much research since then and you can see that the 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 first time they were really talking about it in the public was about 2012 but then there are documents that go back to 2009 or so mm. cuz that's when they were making the plan so clearly this has been in the works for a very long time and i would say it it goes back to about 2003 when sandwich south was taken over from the town of tecumseh yes okay so and I can see the whole history of what happened. So people at that time saw that this land was earmarked for Windsor's future development. And at that time, around about 2003, we had quite a, a, a big, um, you know, there was a fair amount of growth in the region. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was the, at the time when my kids were very little. So I was paying attention to maybe different things at the time. I didn't really notice what was going on, um, you know, with that whole annexation of the land. I, mm-hmm. I just, quite honestly, I wasn't really paying attention to that. I yeah. don't know how many other people were. Um, and then what happened since then was the financial crisis in 2009 really changed things in Windsor. So the growth that we had before that and the population projections that we were working on before 2009, they turned out to be a bust. That's what I discovered in my research. So even if they were put together with with good intentions and with the best evidence possible, in fact, what happened was after 2009, those projections were not good. And you know what? Good decision makers will recognize that things have changed. If times have changed, you know, maybe we need a a, a different plan. Mm -hmm. And different plan. Have you guys proposed a different location or like, how does you know I know that you're not for the location as a yeah. group but what are like your rebuttals or your suggestions for alternatives well first of all we're careful to point out that one of the problems is with the with the accountability so the plan itself is faulty and and one of the aspects of that is that the site selection criteria that they used Mm. Are, those criteria are flawed so rather than saying oh this is the location that we want I would prefer to go back and look at the criteria and develop different ones that we can all agree on 
So some of the criteria that they used were fine, um, but there were a couple, well, climate change, for example, wasn't mentioned at all. So that to me is a problem. Um, And then there were certain criteria that allowed for, um, so for example, if transit services will be available when the doors to the new hospital open, then then that would that was considered to be you know a good plan. Yeah. Well, I I don't see it that way. I think right. if if there's transit there today, that should score better than something that may have transit in the future. Mm-hmm. So so I would like to go back and look at criteria like that, establish good ones, and then and then evaluate a set of sites. And see which is the best for the for the uh, the plan. And then on top of that, I think that it's not just the site of the new hospital, but it's got to be seen in conjunction with with the the satellites that are attached to it. And and so it's it's a whole systems plan that they oh. need to be looking at. Wow. So we have looked at different sites that are available. Some of them were in the in the process. There were others that were never even considered. And I'm sure that there are other ideas that the community would have that I that we haven't even thought about. Mm-hmm. So there is another group that's looking at an alternative kind of plan. They're not really associated with, with us, although we know some of the people involved in that. And um, it's that group is called the Windsor Design Collaborative. Okay. So you can look them up online. And they're putting together all sorts of 3D... Um, uh, designs and and they are trying to envision where this could go whereas camp is more well we're we're focused right now on on our legal appeal and you know i'm not saying that that's all that we're doing but that's what your focus is that's our that's our main focus right now so i'm happy to talk about other ideas that could work Mm-hmm. But you'd probably need a whole hour for that. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> right. So the other the other organization or the other um group is Windsor Design Collaborative. Design Collaborative. And okay. I forget what the URL is because I oh I, I, I don't know. We'd have to just I'm sure I can you reference Google it. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll reference it in, in the description of the this episode. Yes. For sure. Um, well, wow, that I really, a lot of information there. Mm. Hmm. And you're waiting on the judge to make the the decision. Yes. And, and we're two, two of the arguments that we've been focusing on is first of all, climate change was never, was never considered when we appealed this or, or at least the judge did not consider the impacts of climate change and so that's that's really uh, that's Scary. really going to well it's going to impact the way we live especially I'd say the, for the rest of our lives and and our children's lives so for the next 50 to 100 years climate change is going to be more and more important and for this plan not to have considered it is astonishing to me so that's one of the things we're appealing the other thing might be a little bit surprising to people, but that's uh, the pandemic. The mm. pandemic was never taken into account and it does have far-reaching consequences to the hospital. So, for example, Windsor was the only city in the whole of Canada that actually stopped all its public transportation for a month. 
um, after, when the pandemic started. And then after a month, they, they resumed transit services, but on a very, on, I think they had Sunday schedule at first. And then after a while that became, I think there are more buses now, but, but we, we did not maintain transit service. And yet one of the key points in this hospital plan is transit. Is transit. We always mm. said if people don't have cars, how are they going to get to a, a hospital that's 15 kilometers away? And the answer has always been, well, they can take the bus. But what if there is no bus? They can you take know? the bus to the hospital. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Not everybody has a car. And, you know, <clears throat> if you if the hospital's five kilometers away and you have an emergency or an, maybe maybe it's even a scheduled appointment, you can always ask a neighbor to give you a ride. Five kilometers is just, you know, five to 10 minutes. It's, yeah. it's not that big of a favor. Mm. But if you have to go 15 mm-hmm. or 20 kilometers away, now it becomes a big favor. You know, it's not something where you can just drop somebody off on your way to work. Right. It becomes a huge deal. You can't just, you know, it, you have to schedule that out of your day. And so it, it's not some, I, I have a very big concern about how people can get to a hospital that's that far away if they don't have a car. Uh, you certainly can't ride a bicycle there. No. And it's not just the distance. The distance is a huge deal, but, but on oh, it's top the, of it's, it's, it's no. the roads. It's unsafe. Absolutely. These are highways. The, yeah. You know, it's just not going to work. And then people say, well, who rides a bicycle to the hospital? In fact, the CEO of the hospital said that. But what you need to remember is there are 5,000 people who work at the hospital. So they are actually... The people who work at healthcare are the hospital's biggest users, which mm. I think is kind of a weird way to look at it. But that means that there's 5,000 people going to work and 5,000 people going home again. And if you live close by, you know, you might walk to work, you might ride a bicycle, you might get a ride with somebody, or you might drive. But in any case, it's, it's not, you know, it's easy to do if it's just five kilometers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not if it's way, way it's out of 15. the way. Yeah. 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 Those are really valid, interesting and then, points. And then in the context of climate change, we should be driving less. Right. And that's just it, right? We want people to carpool. We want people to ride their bikes or have a jog to work yep. or walk to work. And that's not promoting that at all. No. Plus, our lives are so much nicer if we don't have to drive everywhere. And we don't have to sit in congestion. And of course, we're lucky in Windsor-Essex. There's not a whole lot of traffic congestion. We have pockets of it. But most people generally don't have to sit in a car for hours like they do in the GTA. Right. But how about keeping it that way? How about having less traffic, even Mm -hmm. less traffic? Wouldn't Mm -hmm. that be nice? But they're not even thinking of that. No. No, that's not something that they're thinking of. And then in the long run, when we do get congested and it does get, um, you know, traffic jams and stuff, then they're going to be kicking themselves, wondering why they didn't think of that. Yeah. And plus our kids, you know, I made the kids walk walk to Suzuki. It's 1.4 kilometers, which I think is a perfectly reasonable distance for them to walk to school. Yes. And, uh, um, I had to teach my daughter when, you know, when you cross Jefferson to make eye contact with the drivers, even when the light is green for you. And I, I find that kind of shocking. 
But what's even worse is there, there were, I think, two incidents where she was nearly knocked over. And it's so scary sending your child to school. Yeah, I think we, she was about seven or eight when we first went to Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you're, you're sending your child out into traffic. You know, you're taking a risk. And it's, it's so tempting to just drive your child to school instead in order to avoid that risk. Mm-hmm. And yet that's the very worst thing that we can all be doing. It's the very worst thing that we could be teaching our kids. Like Isn't for it? me, I think so. For me, you know, teaching my kids the greener way, if you will, is mm-hmm. better. I mean, I won't lie. We do drive to school a lot, but a lot of the time we take advantage and we walk because we're yeah. so close and I want them to want to walk. After yeah. all, they are going to a pretty... um environmental school so I think it's necessary that we teach them to be that way yeah plus there's it's for a kid there's very little time that they're completely on their own Mm -hmm. that's a good point and even if it if it takes them 15 or 20 minutes to walk home I think that that's 15 or 20 minutes of just thinking things through for themselves and looking at people's yards and I think that is a very good point that you make because Mm -hmm. another another this is off topic but another thing is is people being afraid and for reasons like you know being hit by a car by a driver who's not paying attention or what have you but we don't allow our kids anymore to play outside by themselves walk to school by themselves because we're we're scared yeah and then they Uh, become less streetwise don't they they do indeed they do it's such a difficult thing. So as a parent, you want to protect your kids. And yet the best thing you can do is to send them out and turn them into independent adults. Yeah. It's hard. And did you do that raising your children? Like, do you, do you see a difference with them in their young adults now, correct? Yes. So my daughter's yeah. 20. She'll be 20 next month, next week. Okay. And my son just turned 22. Yeah. And so how, how are they in, in as far as independent? Well, very much so. And, and I'm also interested that, you know, well, as teenagers, they criticize their parents, right? So I was obviously <laughs> no. the, wor- the worst mother. And <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but you see them adopting some of the same things, you know, so they come full, mm. full circle after yeah. a while. So they like walking, both of them. Um, and, you know, about a year ago, my daughter, dis- no, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, she decided that she wasn't going to be buying any more new clothes. So any new clothes that she was going to obtain were going to be, you know, pre-used. Wow. Which I, I thought, At that age? Yeah. That's and great. A, I find that so interesting. So there, there's a whole network of used clothes that you can buy online. Um, yeah which I think is really cool. So I know that she does that. And sometimes she's, she's had me send parcels. So I know I realized that she was downloading, delegating the activities to me, but I'm, I'm really happy that she's thinking about the decisions we make in our lives. Um, yeah, yeah. And there was other things. My, well, my daughter started going to camp when she was nine or 10. And the first time she went, it was three and a half weeks in Algonquin park. Oh. And she goes to a camp that's, that has no power at all. So everything, if you want to wash, the lake is the only place. Come on. You, so Beautiful. the first, 
she loved it so much. So the first time she went was three and a half weeks. And then after that, she went for the whole summer, every single year. Wow. And she's a counselor now. So, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to get that information. Oh, from it's, you. it's so beautiful up there. So I, she feels that that's what's, what sort of um, done a lot for her sort of mental health and, and, you know, like coping with, with the world and that kind of thing. I'm not convinced that that's the only thing. <laughs> you might have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's definitely been a really good thing in our lives. That's fantastic. And that just goes, goes with what we were saying earlier about how if you show the way, then they will, you know, people will, will follow you in your, I think in your so. journey of change. I think so too. Yeah. And yeah. one day she will give you credit. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's still in the critical stage. She was telling me last week about a time that uh, apparently there was a torrential rainstorm at Suzuki. So at, at you know, when they were going to go home, uh, so both of them were going to walk home together and they called me and asked if I would come pick them up. And I said, no, you can just wait at school until the rain stops. And so she's still mad at me that I <laughs> refused to do that. But really, if it's re- you know, it's occasionally it rains so hard. It occurred to me that's not when you want to be getting out in the car and driving to school to pick your kids up. I mean, that's that's I've seen crashes on, on uh, in weather like that. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why they couldn't wait an extra half hour and then come home. <laughs> they made it home, right? Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do know that I didn't pick them up, but there was no reason why they couldn't wait half an hour and everything was fine. But my, my daughter's still angry about that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there anything else that we didn't? I think we spoke about everything. I think so. There's yeah. so many things, aren't there? Yeah. 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 I, I really appreciate your time and you... Um, doing this with me it's been lovely it's been lovely chatting with you I haven't I mean my first year as um parent council chair I co-chair with um Deb and and even be in the school and see all my people oh I'm so looking forward to going back when this is all over but it will come yep it will come we'll be patient and it will come so thank you so much yeah you're so welcome Candice it was nice talking to you Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon, Philippa. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.